quarantine. And I gotta tell you, I really missed being around you these last couple of weeks. And I so want to be with you there in person this morning to share the word I have for you uh, with you right here in the room. But uh, you should know my family and I are doing well. Uh, Emma's been released from isolation, praise the Lord. None of the rest of us have, have been infected. Uh, so today, this Sunday, is our family's last day of quarantine. I look forward to catching up with many of you in person very, very soon. I do want to remind you this morning that with the election just nine days away, your vote is not just your right, it's not just your privilege as an American, your vote is a stewardship you hold before Almighty God. It's a stewardship to do your part uh, to grant governing authority, to grant decision-making authority to men and women whose future decisions will have a real impact on you and the people around you. And you need to take that stewardship very seriously. I remember many years ago, a pastor friend of mine was sharing his testimony about how he first came to Jesus. He was a student at Clemson University at the time. He was there on a golf scholarship, which is frankly pretty impressive, I think. Uh, when one day he knelt down beside his bed in his dorm room and surrendered his life to Jesus. Up until that point, he had an incredibly foul mouth. And I remember him uh, uh, sharing that after he gave his life to Jesus, he did not instantly stop cussing. But for the first time in years, he began to hear himself when he cussed. And, and now he didn't quickly eliminate that habit of cussing, but I remember him talking about how shocked he was to realize how much he had been cussing and how numb he'd become to it. I share that story with you this morning as we continue our study of God and politics because I am concerned pastorally that a lot of people in this nation have become numb to the evil of abortion. For decades now, when evangelical Christians have talked about politics, they've primarily talked about the issue of abortion. And because they've talked about it so much, a lot of folks are tired of listening. And I fear when it comes to the subject of abortion, even a lot of Christians feel that way. Like my pastor friend, they've become numb. They've stopped hearing, and in many cases, they've sort of stopped caring as well. Many in the church have developed what I call abortion fatigue. That's the name of the message this morning. But because abortion has been such a linchpin issue among Bible-believing Christians for so many years, I don't believe I can do justice to the subject of God and politics without taking some time to delve into that matter. In Matthew chapter 25, Jesus tells a parable about what it will be like when he returns. What it will be like when, according to Matthew 25, 31, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him. Jesus says on that day he will sit on his throne in heavenly glory. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. And then the Bible says he will speak to each group separately. To those on his right, Jesus will say, Come, you who are, you who are blessed by my Father. Take your inheritance. The kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. 
For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. A little later on, the Bible says he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. Mother Teresa shared this very same passage at the beginning of her remarks at the National Prayer Breakfast in 1994. President Clinton was president at the time. He and Hillary and, and Vice President Gore and Kipper were present at the event, and they spoke to Mother Teresa right before she went out, and they said, you can say anything you want to say, but you may not speak about abortion. She did anyway. As I've already noted, there, there's a growing sort of abortion fatigue in this country, even among, among evangelical Christians. And especially among young evangelicals, it's led to something of a backlash, where you now have a younger generation of Christians regularly saying things like, abortion is just one issue. Why should it matter so much more? Why should it matter so much more than things like caring for the poor? Let me take just a few minutes and address that a little bit this morning. First, to be very, very clear. Abortion is not just one of many issues. Yes, there are many issues that deserve your attention, and many of them are very significant. Our country has a serious problem with homelessness, a serious problem with drug addiction. There are problems in education with, and problems with employment opportunities. We have a health care crisis and a mental health crisis. There are very real questions about racial inequities and and very real questions about the best way to steward and care for the earth. Not to mention problems with a rapidly shrinking middle class in which middle-income Americans struggle to make ends meet as they are disproportionately bearing the brunt of a convoluted income tax system. But with all those issues and a million others like them, while they matter very much, none of them of the state-sanctioned killing of babies in the womb. We can and we should discuss the value and the relative efficacy of social service programs like food stamps and low-income housing. We can and we should have discussions about different provisions of the Affordable Care Act, what is and what is not reasonable, what is and what is not legal, what is and what is not, in fact, affordable. But we should not need a discussion about killing babies in utero. The Bible says of the Lord, you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. That means every single unborn child is the handiwork of God himself. So, to take the formal, official position that you're free to kill a child in the womb with the blessing and the backing of our civil government is not just another political issue. It is not 
just another political opinion. After quoting from Matthew 25, Mother Teresa, at that prayer breakfast I mentioned a few minutes earlier, went on to talk about the destruction of peace in the world that comes from failing to love and care for one another. And then she said this, and I'm going to quote her. But I feel the greatest destroyer of peace today is abortion, because it is a war against the child, a direct killing of the innocent child, murder by the mother herself. And if we accept that a mother can kill even her own child, how can we tell other people not to kill one another? How do we persuade a woman not to have an abortion? As always, we must persuade her with love. And we remind ourselves that love means being willing to give until it hurts. Jesus gave even his life to love us. So the mother who is thinking of abortion should be helped to love. That is, she should be helped to give until it hurts her plans, to give until it hurts her free time in order to respect the life of her child. The father of that child, whoever he is, must also give until it hurts. By abortion, the mother does not learn to love, but kills even her own child in order to solve her own problems. And by abortion, that father is told that he does not have to take any responsibility at all for the child he has brought into the world. The father is then likely to put other women into the same trouble. So abortion just leads to, no, to more abortion. Any country that accepts abortion is not teaching its people to love, but rather to use any violence to get what they want. This is why the greatest destroyer of love and peace is abortion. Many people are very, very concerned with the children of India, with the children of Africa, where quite a few die of hunger and so on. Many people are also concerned about the violence in this great, great country of the United States. These concerns are very good. But often these same people are not concerned with the millions who are being killed by the deliberate decision of their own mothers. And this is what is the greatest destroyer of peace today. Abortion which brings people to such blindness. If anyone's ever been qualified to say abortion is more morally significant than care for the poor, it's that little nun in the blue and white sari, Mother Teresa, who gave her life to caring for the poorest of the poor. So what blindness was she speaking of at the end of those comments? She was talking about a moral blindness. Blindness to the horror and the perversity of abortion. The perversity of a mother being willing to kill her own child for her own comfort and convenience. If, if, if motherhood is supposed to mean anything, it is, if it's supposed to picture and represent anything, then it's supposed to picture and represent self-sacrificing love. Mothers and fathers are to serve their children, to lay down their own lives for their children, to work and sprint and sacrifice themselves for the benefit of their children. And to look at abortion in this country 
over 61 million abortions since 1973. To consider that fact and yawn, to consider that fact and say, yeah, but what about these other issues? That is a moral blindness akin to radioing someone on a sinking ship and reminding them to rinse off the fishing nets before stowing them away on deck. To equate abortion, the deliberate, government-sanctioned, government-approved killing of innocents, to equate that on the scales of severity with wondering if we're doing enough to feed and educate the poor is a moral blindness. In the one case, you're wondering if our health efforts to help the poor are as aggressive as they need to be. In the other case, you're actually talking about killing children. To imagine that the government-sanctioned killing of unborn babies is on the same moral plane as an argument about of immigration policy is a moral blindness. Make no mistake about it. The systemic government-approved killing of tens of millions of the unborn is a moral atrocity every bit along the same lines as any other historic genocidal massacre in human history. Brenda Pratt Schaefer is a registered nurse from Dayton, Ohio. She testified before Senate Judiciary Committee about an abortion she assisted with on a baby boy in his sixth month of development. She testified how the abortionist delivered the baby's body and arms, everything but the head. And then I quote, the baby's little fingers were clasping and unclasping. His feet were kicking. Then the doctor stuffed the scissors through the back of his head, and the baby's arms jerked out in a flinch, in a, a, a startle reaction, like a baby does when he thinks he might fall. I cannot bear to read you the rest of her testimony. But if you care to look it up, you can Google Brenda Pratt Schaefer Senate testimony. While you're at it, I urge you to Google Abby Johnson's remarks about assisting with an ultrasound-guided abortion as a Planned Parenthood employee. Part of what she said was this, nothing prepared me for what I saw on the screen. An unborn baby fighting back, desperate to move away from the suction. You can also Google her testimony before the Kentucky State Legislature and read her detailed explanation of what is involved in even a first trimester abortion. Read her testimony and listen to her explain how even after a first trimester abortion, the staff must go in and collect and reassemble all the body parts to be sure nothing was left behind. Read her testimony and then try again with a straight face to equate abortion with issues like child care and Medicaid. A little over a year ago, many of you joined me for a prayer rally near Charlotte's newest abortion clinic in the Cherry neighborhood. We gathered in a nearby park and silently and prayerfully we formed a, an enormous line and we walked slowly, silently and prayerfully past the clinic. As I processed that event over the next several weeks, going over it in my mind several times, I was haunted for several weeks by what I heard in my spirit. The anguished cries of unborn babies as they were being aborted in that place. I lost 
sleep over it. It sickens me then, and it hurts and grieves me to think about it now. Listen, if you are tired of hearing evangelicals talk about the issue of abortion, then you are vastly underestimating the massive evil of abortion. Just over a week ago, the United States Senate held a confirmation hearing for the Supreme Court nomination of Amy Coney Barrett. One of the witnesses called by those opposed to her nomination was a young lady named Crystal Good. Her testimony was honestly wholly unrelated to Judge Barrett's fitness for the court, but it was eye-opening with regard to where we find ourselves today in terms of the issue of abortion. Ms. Good proudly told the Senate and the nation how much her life was helped by the abortion she had at the age of 16. Her personal story was tragic, both the early parts of it, which she recognized as tragic, and the latter parts of it, which she believed to be heroic. By her testimony, when she was younger, she was totally failed by all the adults in her life. And when she was 16 years old, she found herself with what she called an unintended pregnancy. You can watch her testimony by Googling Crystal Good Testimony. As I watched and listened to Crystal Good, I was deeply grieved, but I wasn't angry with her. If she's to be believed, and I don't see why she isn't, her early life was awful, marked by wildly irresponsible and ungodly parents and guardians. And in her hurt and her fear and her anger, she entered into an immoral relationship with a young man that she says, quote, brought her joy and made her feel safe. As a lonely, broken teenager, she became sexually active, and to nobody's surprise, she became pregnant as a result. I'm not angry with her, but I am angry with her parents. I'm not angry with her, but I am angry with that teenage boyfriend. I'm not angry with her, but I am angry at the left in America who lied to her about abortion. I'm angry with those in America who preyed on her hurt and her fear and her confusion and who appealed to a misplaced sense of pride, who lied to her and told her that killing that child was no big deal, who lied to her and told her at 16 years old she was old enough to decide for herself whether or not to have sex and when she should start her own family, who lied to her and convinced her that killing the child that was growing inside her was merely a decision about her own body, who lied to her and helped her forget completely about the body of the child she was killing, who lied to her and told her all that mattered was what she thought was best for herself and her future, who lied to her and helped her totally disregard what was best for the child and his future. I grieve for her over the adults who let her down long before her pregnancy. And I grieve for her over the adults who lied to her about abortion and about what it means to take responsibility for one's own life. But that's the pernicious power of abortion. It promises a quick and easy fix to women who are frightened and confused. 
It appeals to the most selfish parts of human nature. And it instills a vile and false sense of pride in one's own control over one's own life and one's own ability to save oneself from difficulty. It makes me sad and it makes me angry. But I have to tell you this morning, as I listened to Crystal Good's story, I also became angry at the right, at all the adults who claimed to be pro-life but who were not there when she learned she was with child, at those on the right who never got to know her and didn't come to stand beside her, who didn't offer to bring her into their homes and promise to take her to the doctor and offer to pay for her prenatal vitamins and to sit with her through labor and delivery and to write recommendations on her behalf to colleges and to punch anybody in the nose who dared to look down on her or call her names. Too often when it comes to abortion, the left offers empty, hollow lies while the right simply pummels people with the truth. That it's the truth that abortion is wrong and you should know that if you have sex, you might get pregnant. The truth that it's going to be hard, but you brought this on yourself. The truth that you need to suck it up and hang in there and hopefully it'll turn out okay for you. And the truth that, by the way, if you want to apply for some assistance, you need to hurry up and do that because next week we've got a bill coming down to cut funding for WIC and AIDS and dependent children. Too often the left offers lies and false quick fixes, while too often the right sits back and offers nothing. And that, dear people of God, is why the church must never be co-opted by the left or by the right, by any political party or any political movement. We must be better. We must do better. We must speak the truth, but do it in love. And love is an action noun. Love always shows itself in deed. Abortion is, in America is not just one of many issues. It's an inescapably defining issue. And anyone who supports abortion has forfeited any hope of my vote. But simply voting for pro-life candidates, to be honest, is a fairly anemic way to stand for life. And doing nothing more than telling frightened women not to get an abortion seems a little bit of a cheap excuse for loving. As Mother Teresa said plainly, we must learn to love until it hurts. Because frankly, anything less than that may not really be love at all. In the parable we read at the beginning of this message, Jesus compared the sheep and the goats. And Keith Green, in his song, The Sheep and the Goats, points out that the only difference between them in the end is what they did and didn't do. Let's pray. Father, as always, we thank you for the power and the clarity of your word. Lord, forgive us for being co-opted so often, co-opted so easily by the media, by political movements, by, by, by campaigns, by, by talking heads. Forgive us for being so easily confused and so easily pulled away from your word and the clear truth of your word and the power of your word and the power of the love you've called us to walk in. 
Help us not be like the left, offering ungodly, unbiblical lies to make offer quick fixes to people who find themselves fearful and in trouble. But help us not be like those who, who do nothing more than say, I told you so. Lord, may we stand for truth and right, and may we bring your kingdom to bear on the world around us as your people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. God bless you. I look forward to